Welcome to David Gogo's Soul Bender podcast. A journey through the blues as seen through the hazy recollections from a life on the road. I'm Scott James down here at the bottom of Vancouver Island. He's David Gogo up there in the middle of Vancouver Island. If you have questions for us, email soulbenderpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to help keep this thing going, consider tossing some coins via paypal.me slash gogoguitar. And thank you. Well, we're both sad sacks after hearing about the passing of the legendary Eddie Van Halen at just 65. That was an even bigger blow after hearing from the band's manager that the original lineup of Eddie, Alex, David, and Michael were getting close to finalizing plans for a tour last year. So here we go with the RIP EVH episode. We've had a number of significant losses in the music world over the past while, and this has to be in the top five. Well, the thing is, Eddie Van Halen was a game changer, a total innovator um, in the field of music, and I, I, I believe a, a musical genius. Um, the music that Van Halen played you know, was, wasn't particularly something like, I, I don't own any Van Halen albums, but it's definitely, you know, it's it's part of my life. You know, I'm a 51-year-old man that plays guitar. You obviously became aware of Eddie Van Halen at, at, at um, an impressionable age. Um, amazing player. And I and I like Van Halen. I'm not saying I don't like Van Halen, but I, I do. I mean, especially with, with Diamond Dave back in the roster. But... Um, you know, they, they that they made rock and roll fun. Um, the videos they put out and everything made was was all part of it. it was all you know on the stage show, and great musicians and and they just it, it seemed like they were having a good time all the time. To quote Viv Savage from Spinal Tap, how did his guitar style stand out to you among all the other guitar greats? Well, as I just mentioned, I mean the, the guy the guy changed the way the instrument was played. But besides that, he was just okay. okay. I, I kind of have to. It, it's it's a strange thing. So Eddie Van Halen, what he did was was develop what's known as finger tapping. So for people out there who don't play guitar, usually when you play a guitar, your right hand or your left hand, if you're left-handed, you know, one of your hands is is has a pick or your fingers, and you're plucking the strings. The other hand, you're putting on the the guitar neck. You're fretting the notes. What he did was he started fretting the notes with two hands. So he's got two hands on the guitar neck, almost playing it like a piano. Which was the very first thing he played, as a matter of fact. And in the past, there have been a few people that did that to a certain extent. In the 30s and 40s, there was a guitar player named Roy Smeck, who uh, there's some good stuff on YouTube you can check out with Roy Smeck, where he's playing acoustic instruments but doing these finger-tapping things. And with electric guitar, Harvey the Snake Mandel, who's still around, um, kind of did a lot of that in the late 60s, early 70s. But Eddie Van Halen just took it to this completely ridiculous other level. And from what I can understand, um, he was completely self-taught, which makes it even more amazing. So he developed this whole new style to play guitar. So yay for him. And... He was, you know, like very tasty in his licks, was, you know, just so musical. Uh, the only kind of bummer, the kind of followed out of it was um, was after he developed the style. Well, he kind of 
influenced what we now know as the shredders. So this whole new generation of guitar players just heard this style. So, you know, when you when you play the finger tapping style, you can get incredible speed because you're playing with all your fingers, not just, you know, four fingers in the fretboard, possibly a thumb. But you now you've got eight fingers going. So he had incredible speed, but he also had incredible taste and phrasing. But unfortunately, all these shredders, they just all of a sudden, it's like, who can play the fastest? It became this goddamn car race or something. So I didn't like that. I didn't like that part of it. But that's not his fault. We, we I guess we can't blame him. I mean, he was just kind of do, trying to do his thing. But uh, the other thing was just the musicality of, of how he did it. And I think because he grew up w- with his brother, Alex, as a drummer, he developed a really excellent sense of timing. Like he had, he had just great rhythm chops as well and impeccable timing. And that's probably from, you know, playing with, 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 with a drummer the whole time. Yeah. When did you start to become aware of Eddie's playing? Well, I'm so old that I am. Um, Side notes, you're not allowed to classify yourself as old until you're 100. And even then, it's up for discussion. Please continue. Actually, you know, was playing guitar and, 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 and I think even playing in bands before I had ever heard Van Halen. Or maybe right at the same time. Um, when I was about 12 or 13, I, I was playing with, with a guy, a drummer, uh, Steve Lees. And Steve was into a lot of those kind of metal bands and hair bands. Not that, that Van Halen's necessarily a metal band. Um, so that's probably where I first heard it, if I didn't hear it on the radio. But I, I was already playing, and I was into very much kind of the 60s British bands, which are very much blues-influenced. And that's kind of where I got my blues thing, besides listening to my dad's records and stuff. But in Eddie's playing, I could hear a lot of blues, um, but I remember just going, wow, this is, this is something different. So in that way, he was, an, an, you know, a very much an innovator in terms of, um, you know, it, much in the style of someone like Jimi Hendrix or whatever, like, like they blew people's minds because they had this whole new technique that no one was aware of, you know, like where did Jimi Hendrix come up with all those whammy bar things and the feedback things? I mean, you know, maybe a, you know a little bit from Jeff Beck and place you know people like that. But you know, I've talked to Jeff Beck about this, but he just took it to these other places. Crazy. So same with Van Halen. How did that affect you in your early guitar playing years? Well, it didn't necessarily affect me that much. I mean, I could totally appreciate it. But wow, all of a sudden, it changed the way guys my age and girls my age were playing the guitar. And it was really weird because all of a sudden, I, you know, I used to buy all the guitar magazines every month back then, but there was this technique called tablature, or I guess it's an educational thing called tablature. So instead of reading, reading musical notes, it was kind of a series of numbers. I don't really know. I don't quite understand it. But um, it was strange, but it became almost like paint by numbers for music, or for guitar music anyways. So... I remember like being in high school and, you know, someone told me, oh, there's this guy. He can play Eruption by Eddie Van Halen, you know, note for note. And I was thinking, well, I got to meet this guy because I was just interested. Like back then, I was just, I was hungry, you know, hungry to learn and hungry to get knowledge, hungry to to hear new things. There was no jealousy or or anything. I was like, wow, that guy can do that. I want to, I want to meet that guy. So I meet the guy, and he sits down and plays Eruption by Eddie Van Halen. And pretty good. You know, it's pretty good. 
but he had learned it from this technique called tablature. So I say to him, well, you know, we all had our guitars and amps out. Let's jam. Well, he couldn't jam. He had no idea really how to play music. <laughs> so it was almost like this weird kind of memory thing, like knowing how to solve a Rubik's Cube or some fucking thing, you know. It wasn't really playing music, which I knew that wasn't what Eddie Van Halen was about, but it kind of became this this this, this weird phenomenon. So we have plenty of videos out there of Eddie playing blues. How would you say his blues chops compared to his rock chops? Well, to me, there's no real difference in blues chops and rock chops. They all kind of come from the same place. Um, the one guy that Eddie always kind of would tip his hat to in terms of influences would be Eric Clapton. Um, and he said that when him and his brother first started playing, that you know they really tried to emulate the great cream Eric Clapton, Jack Bruce, and Ginger Baker. Good way to start. And there's a lot of bands. I mean, even Rush, apparently, he used to try to be like Cream. But when you listen to Eddie's style, even when he got into the, the his whole, you know, virtuosity, there's a lot of a Clapton influence. And an interesting thing that, that I found out was that, you know, in the last few days since Eddie passed, I was, I was reading some articles. And I, could, and I could tell this, I think, with my ear, is that he he didn't use a whole lot of effects. He wasn't a guy that was, you know, you had to have this huge effects unit, like a bunch of pedals, like 20 different pedals. He basically just was playing with his hands through an amp. And he, he didn't even apparently use an overdrive pedal or a distortion pedal. Um, it was just, you know, getting these amps happening, which makes sense if you're, you know, because when Eric Clapton was with Cream and before that with John Mayall, it's just that overdriven guitar sound. That's the tone. It's very similar to what Eddie had. And, you know, it's funny. People think now of Eric Clapton, you know, they don't think of him as maybe much of an innovator, but he was the first guy to plug a Les Paul guitar into a Marshall amplifier and crank it up and get that bitchin' blues rock tone. If you listen to the old John Mayall records and then into Cream, man, that's some real serious shit. And I'm not sure that Eric quite gets the credit these days because, you know, people know him for the unplugged record or whatever. But, man, that guy had a fierce, fierce tone back in the day. And I think Eddie got a lot of that. So, you know, when in Van Halen they had Ice Cream Man and stuff, I mean, these guys all, you know, rock and roll comes from the blues. And, um, I mean, I, I think he must have listened to a lot of those players. And, in fact, I know he listened to, you know, Jimmy Page, who's very much a blues bass player. And I think you could just appreciate good guitar playing. And a lot of that was, was blues players. Here comes the tough question of the month. What's your favorite song on which he played? Well, I don't know. I mean, Van Halen's just kind of in my, my head because, you know, they were so popular for so long. Um, but I guess, you know, Eruption's the thing because it's, it's the big guitar solo. And, you know, it, it's 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 a crazy piece of work. But also, when Eruption ends, they go right into their cover of You Really Got Me by The Kinks. So anyone who covers The Kinks is okay in my books. <laughs> As the saying goes, necessity is the mother of invention. And I guess he was kind of the personification of that. Well, I think the interesting thing about Eddie as well is that he, um, like there's a real, there's a real thing. Like, like he, he came, his family came over from Holland. So his dad was Dutch. His mother was Indonesian. A lot of Indonesian people in Holland. Um, so when they came to America, you know, they were immigrants. They didn't have a whole lot of cash or anything. So he was a guy that learned how to, you know, he wasn't going to be gifted a bunch of you know, expensive equipment. 
So he really um, became, he, he, he built a lot of guitars. He learned how to, you know, do that kind of stuff out of necessity and I guess out of curiosity. So that's the other big thing about his guitar playing and his tone was there's two main guitars in rock and roll. You can play a Fender Stratocaster, which has three pickups, and it's more of a a thinner sound. It's what's called single-coil pickups. Or you'd play a Gibson Les Paul, which has, the pickups are called humbuckers, so it's a, a thicker tone. And what Eddie did, and not a lot of people had done this before, was he would take, he found an old Stratocaster body and neck, and then routed out part of the body so he could fit the humbucking pickup into this beat up strat. So that's became what's known as his Frankenstein, Frankenstein guitar. So it's just kind of bits and pieces he picked up cheap and then uh, put together himself. And I, I, I used to remember as a young guy buying the guitar magazines and being fascinated by like seeing this guy who's this shit hot new guitar player with a, what looked like a real junky guitar. There's wires hanging out and you know, he hadn't even bothered to put the pick guards back on. But that's how we got that great tone, was taking the Stratocaster body, which was lighter and had much more reach in terms of the way the body was formed, but had that bitchin' um, Les Paul tone with the with the humbucking pickups. And I also found out that, that he um, he holds a couple of patents uh, just for guitar gear. I think something to do with the guitar bridge and something else, maybe the tuners. I can't remember. I just looked it up a while ago. So the guy was you know, really committed to the instrument, not just as, in terms of a player, but in terms of uh, getting to know, the, like, literally the nuts and bolts of what it's all about. Belgian moon Shine your light
Come on, then. That's Belgian Moon from David Gogo's Skeleton Key album on the Soul Bender podcast. So there's a ton of legendary Van Halen stories. Some are urban legends, some aren't. And one of the most legendary is the one about the brown M&Ms. Well, see, this is often misconstrued as a typical kind of rock star, I don't know, like ego trip, crazy story. So the story is, is that, you know, when you're a big successful touring band, you have a thing called a rider. Now there's a technical rider, which is the equipment you need. And then there's usually a hospitality rider. And that's what you'd like backstage in terms of food, beverages, you know, anything to do that to make you comfortable. Yeah. They wanted a big bowl of M&Ms with all the brown ones taken out. So everyone thinks that's rock star excess. But what it was, was back then they still had to tour with their own sound system and lighting system. And they needed really definite technical requirements. They, they, this had to be there. And if the brown ones were still there, that was a big brown flag. Oh, fuck, boys. <laughs> we got to start at the beginning of this contract and, and, and search it out. Because if they didn't, then the technical requirements were probably overlooked and they could, you know, their lighting system wouldn't work. The PA might blow up. So I, I always thought that was really cool that they did that. And, but, but, it, but people just thought it was this egotistical thing. You talked about them being a big band, possibly the biggest in the world at one point. Yeah, it's interesting because apparently it took them a very long time to get uh, their first record deal. They were really, you know, slugging it out in the trenches there for a long time. Um, from what I understand, Gene Simmons from Kiss saw them playing at some little club one time, and at the and he was at the point where he was working with some people to start a new record company, and he said, "I just found this, you know, this young band. They're going to be shit hot. They're going to be major stars. We should sign them." But apparently his uh, partners, they didn't want to sign a new band, an unproven band. They wanted to like try to get some other established band out of their current deal. And so unfortunately, Gene didn't get to sign them as if he needs more cash. But anyways, um, once they did hit, they, they hit, man, and, and they hit it good. And, and yeah, they, they were huge. So, and, and so much so, <clears throat> and I'm not going to name names here, but... I remember talking to a friend of mine once, and he was in a band that, same thing, they worked hard, became very successful, <clears throat> they were, uh, sold a lot of records, but one at one point they were going to do, you know, they'd had some success, and they were kind of just like, all right, we're, we're rock stars, this is great, <clears throat> and they go to play, to headline a show at a stadium, and there was a couple up-and-coming bands that were opening for them, and... Um, the band right before them was this new up-and-coming band called Van Halen. So, so you remember Van Halen played, and they were blown away. These guys are great. But then the weird thing, they're getting ready for their big triumphant headlining set at this festival, or not festival, just a gig. And about half the crowd walked out after Van Halen played. So they went up to do their set, and as they're playing their set, a bunch more people were leaving, and <clears throat> they realized, wow, there's some kind of a really weird transition going on here. So they got back to the hotel room <clears throat> and um, they, they, they were flabbergasted. Like, what the hell happened? You know, we're supposed to be the headliners and these, these young guys come up and they basically blow us off the fucking stage. And so, you know, it was a couple of the, the main dudes in the band and they got this big, huge um, bodyguard with them. And right then there's this knock on their hotel room door. 
they open the door and it's Eddie Van Halen. And all he's doing, he's just wearing pants. He just doesn't have any a shirt or any footwear. Runs in, he goes, hey guys, what's going on? Goes directly to their mini bar, pulls all the booze out of it, drinks all the booze, turns to their huge bouncer and says, who invited this asshole to the party? And then runs out to their patio and they're up, I don't know, 10, 10 flights or something, 10 stories, and chucks all the patio furniture out just off the deck, which apparently hit some expensive sports car below. Luckily, it didn't hurt anyone. And so they were given the bill for that. And then he went, okay, fucking see you guys later, and buggered off. And they just realized, what the fuck? <laughs> it's kind of an insult to injury thing. Not that, I mean, I, I heard Eddie Van Halen was, was just the nicest, sweetest guy in the whole world. I mean, but... He was probably just digging digging the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever pillage your mini bar? Well, I think the closest I ever came to the Van Halen world was I mentioned before. There's a, a, he's got a connection with uh, with Holland, and I've played over there a lot. You know, I've got a really I love playing over in Holland. And I remember I was playing at Appledorn at the Blues Cafe, and um, my wireless unit from my from my guitar system. Back then, it was just kind of like, it was a weird system. But anyways, not to get too technical, the one cable that I really needed for my my, uh, wireless to work just broke. It was completely hooped. And I was kind of desperate. And I said, is there anyone around here that might be able to fix this? And so I had to to send an email to my buddy, uh, Ronald, over in Holland. And um, yeah, so it was a guy named uh, Peter Van Wielden. They said, he works on guitars. I said, is he good? And they said, well, he works on Van Halen's amplifiers. So Van Weald and Van Halen, right? But apparently this guy did. He did a bunch of work um, on some of uh, Eddie's stuff and then worked with a bunch of other artists. And uh, so it was really interesting to talk to him, and he fixed my gear up right quick. What was Eddie's place in popular music? Well, as I mentioned, I mean, not only was this guy a brilliant guitar player, but he was involved in writing these huge hits, number one hits kind of, you know, generational soundtracks, you know. And, you know, when I think of people partying when I was a young guy, there was, there was always some some wailing fucking hailing going on, that's for sure. Um, but one of the coolest things was he, he played the solo on Michael Jackson's Beat It. And apparently Quincy Jones, who produced the album, had, was phoning Eddie, and Eddie Eddie thought someone was pulling his leg. He thought someone was putting him on, and he kind of told him to fuck off or whatever. And finally, he's like, "No, this is Quincy Jones." So Eddie, you know, Eddie Van Halen shows up. Now, this is an interesting mix. So you got to think, you know, uh, black artist, black producer, pop music. Um, so it's interesting to throw this, you know, Waylon rock guitar play. You know, there's hardly any guitar playing on a lot of that kind of stuff except for, you know, good rhythm playing. But I guess, you know, like Beat It, when you think of the main riff, that's actually um, Steve Lukather, the great guitarist Steve Lukather laying down that riff. And I guess Eddie showed up, and he, he was just kind of given free reign to do what he wants to do, which is pretty crazy when you got a producer as heavy as Quincy Jones. And he actually, Eddie asked if he could change the arrangement somewhat. And I think he came up with kind of the way the changes, the chord changes go in the solo. But apparently it only took him about half hour to get the part down. And then Michael Jackson walked in and Eddie realized, wow, I've changed this guy's song. You know, we changed the arrangement. But apparently Michael Jackson loved it. And from what I understand, Eddie didn't want to get paid and he didn't want to be credited. He just wanted to kind of like fly under the radar. Well, there's no fucking way 
you're going to fly under the radar with a solo like that, especially with such a, you know, his style is so unique. It's just like so signature. But uh, he did it under the radar. I guess he asked for a case of beer. But the funny thing was, there's a story that Eddie tells where he was shopping in Tower Records in Hollywood, Los Angeles, and uh, the the song came on, and the guitar solo came on, and there were some young guys listening going, you know, it's a Michael Jackson song that no one's ever heard. It's a new song. But they hear the guitar solo, and one of the kids says, oh, listen to this guitar player. He's trying to fucking sound like Eddie Van Halen. And Eddie Van Halen <laughs> walked up and tapped on his shoulder and says, that's me. <laughs> You mentioned Jimi Hendrix as being the best guitar player ever. Where would you put Eddie on that admittedly totally subjective list? Well, you know, I hate lists and I hate the whole thing as any kind of like competition in, in music. It's not a fucking horse race. It's, you know, it's art. <clears throat> that being said, as I mentioned, he he's an innovator. He He's a game changer. Um as much as, as, as Hendrix or Jeff Beck or any of those guys. So he's, he's, you know, he's definitely got to be top five, I guess. I mean, everything's subjective and everything's, you know, what, you know, what's your certain tastes. But um, one of the absolute all-time greats, you know, undeniably, undeniably. No argument there. Well, there you go. Add Eddie Van Halen to the list of people we're going to miss terribly. And thanks for joining us. Send your questions to soulbenderpodcast at gmail.com. And podcast supporting donations are always welcome and appreciated at paypal.me slash guitar. I'm Scott James. He's David Gogo. Thanks. Be safe. We love you. This has been David Gogo's Soulbender Podcast. To stay up to date, follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye.